Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father, and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of those works themselves. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Let's pray as we come to God's Word together. Paul prays in his letter to the Ephesians, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Father, we pray this prayer for ourselves that we would, as we study your word together now, that we would know you better and that we would know the hope in these troubled times. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as you are well aware, we find ourselves in troubled times that no one could possibly have imagined just a couple of months ago. The number of confirmed cases of COVID-19 globally is over 2 million. The number of people who have sadly died is over 140,000. As a result, people feel anxious. In a recent survey of this country, one-third of the population said they felt very worried, and another fifth said it's uh, the most worried that they have ever felt. Those worries may include a fear for our own health or the health of those who are dear to us. We may be anxious about our financial condition and our future. And for many who are living alone, it may be a worry about something that might happen to them and there's nobody there to to help them. Just when we need them most, we're separated from our loved ones. Some of our fears may be real. Uh, Some may be a result of our minds playing havoc with us as we think of all the possible things that might go wrong. 
We're starting a new sermon series this morning entitled Comfort for Troubled Hearts, um, which we'll be focusing on chapters 14 to 16 of John's Gospel. The context is that Jesus and his disciples are celebrating in an upper room of a house the Jewish Passover meal. They're probably quite relaxed in each other's company. After all, they've been together for about three years now. They know each other well. And then Jesus gets up and washes his disciples' feet. A little bit weird, they think, but um, they're used to surprises by now from Jesus. Nothing prepares them for what comes next. Three bombshells recorded in the previous chapter, chapter 13. First, Jesus says in verse 21, Very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. The reaction of the disciples uh, that is recorded is that they stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. Bit of a conversation killer. Then in verse 33, Jesus says, My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. Sounds like he's going to desert them, to to abandon them. You're on your own now. I'm off. And in verse 38, Jesus tells Peter, Before the cock crows, you will disown me three times. The so-called rock on whom Jesus said he would build his church is going to crumble and fall. Well, they say always that bad news uh, comes in threes. Um, that's enough to knock the faith of anyone. And Jesus uh, realizes that even if um, they're not particularly anxious now, even if they just shrug off what he's saying to them, when it comes to it, when the soldiers come and take him away, when they see him flogged and crucified, their emotional, their spiritual states will be in turmoil. The leader they've devoted their lives to for the last three years, for whom they've given up everything, will be separated from them. Despite everything he's taught them, they'll be questioning, what was the point of it all? What was that all about? And so chapter 14 starts with the words of Jesus to his disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled. How does Jesus give them, though, the reassurance that they need? How can these words of Jesus be a comfort to us in these troubled times? Well, these chapters of John's Gospel are known as the, the farewell discourse. But these are not the words of despair that some will utter on their deathbed. These are words of great encouragement. Jesus wants to leave his disciples with hope. And I pray too this morning that we would be left with that same Christian hope, that same trust in the promises of Jesus. Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. And then he says, you believe in God, believe also in me. Trust me, he's saying. And there are four reasons Jesus gives why his disciples should trust him and why we should trust him today. The first of those is that Jesus has gone to prepare a place in heaven for us. My Father's house has many rooms, he says. I don't know what picture that conjures up in in your mind. I I don't know whether you get the impression of some huge heavenly hotel complex. I don't think that's quite the point he's getting at here. He's saying that in God's house there will be sufficient space for all believers 
And all believers will not be treated as one big faceless crowd huddled together in a dormitory, but will have individual identities. Hence, they will have their own room. There's not a limited number of rooms in the sense of once they're full, people will be turned away. There's room for all who want to be there. It's also not a hotel where everyone keeps to themselves. It's a, it's a house where people live together, where God has gathered his people to be with him forever. And notice the emphasis is not on the place, but actually on the person. Jesus says, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. It's not about going to heaven, because what Jesus will do when he comes again is he will restore the earth, he will bring earth and heaven together. A glorious future, if we believe in Jesus. It's not about being in a lovely place, it's about being in the presence of God himself. So why can't Jesus take the disciples to be with him now? Well, the reason you can't go with me yet, Jesus says, is because I have to go ahead and prepare a place for you. And then I'll come back and take you to be with me. It's not like the rooms in a hotel that that need cleaning and preparing before the guests arrive. The rooms have been ready since the creation of the world. So what needs preparing? At the particular moment when Jesus is speaking to his disciples, the doors to those rooms are shut. Something needs to happen for them to be opened so that Jesus' disciples can go to be with him and the Father. And what needs to happen is Jesus has to complete his work on earth. He has to deal with the problem of sin that separates humankind from God. He has to allow himself to be arrested, to go through an unjust trial, to be flogged, and crucified before he rises from the dead ascends into heaven and is exalted at the right hand of the Father only by being obedient through that whole process could he prepare a place for us in heaven because it's through taking the punishment that we deserve for our sins that we can be declared innocent and given the right to stand before our Father in heaven and say, my place here, my room here, has been booked, it's been paid for through the death of your Son. So if we're believers, we don't need to be anxious. We don't need to be troubled about the future because Jesus has taken care of it. And so the next reassurance is that our place in heaven does not depend on our efforts but trusting in what Jesus has done for us. Which is a great reassurance of poor old Peter. Uh, he's been told he's going to deny Jesus three times. He's probably thinking, well, what does that mean? Uh, I'm not going to be able to get into it? Does that mean I've blown it? We don't need to worry about whether we have done enough to deserve our entry into heaven. Because our place there depends not on us, but on the fact that Jesus has prepared it for us. What we need to do is to believe in him, to trust him that he has done that for us. Jesus reassures us that he will take his followers to be with him. But he also reassures us by telling us that we know how we're going to get there. Thomas was your classic uh, skeptic, never one to believe anything too, too hastily, always needing proof. And so he says, well, we don't even know where you're going. So how can we know how to get there? Jesus replies, 
I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's saying, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And as I do that, I will become the way that you get there. I'm the truth that you need to hold on to if you are to get there. And as you hold on to that truth, as you follow that way, you will enjoy life in all its fullness forevermore. The amazing thing about this statement, like many of the other I am statements that Jesus makes in the Bible, is that Jesus doesn't talk about these things in a sort of abstract way. He doesn't say, I can show you the way. He doesn't say, I can point you to the truth. I can give you life. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Whether we are reunited, Jesus is saying, will depend not on whether you desert me when I'm arrested or deny me or anything you, you might try and do and make up for that. It depends on whether you trust me. But my death for you brings you forgiveness. Whether you believe that the only way to God the Father is through me. You believe in God, he says. Believe also in me. Should be a message of good news, of great comfort, of great reassurance that we don't need to be to worrying about any other way of trying to be made right with God. We don't need to try and do it in our own strength. It's been wonderful during this uh, crisis to see the way in which the nation has come together to fight the coronavirus, to gather all the scientific, the, the medical expertise, to try and find a solution, to share our economic resources, to see countries cooperating. However, there is a danger that we rely on our human expertise and we forget that God is the one who's given us that in the first place. There's a danger that we think we can do this on our own without God's help. It's a danger we forget our human frailty. And the end result of that will be that we become even more proud and even more reliant if we get through it. And we will go back to, to living the way we did before until the next crisis comes along, whether it's a personal crisis, an individual one, or another global crisis. Let's not waste this opportunity to call on God for help, to call on him to show us the way that Jesus offers. As Christians, the reason we are praying for God to intervene in this crisis is because we know that God has the power to bring it to an end. He has the power to work through human beings. And we will thank him for that and give him the praise and the glory. But just as we pray that God will rescue us from this current crisis, so we are also filled with gratitude for the greater rescue that has already been achieved through Jesus, the rescue from our alienation, our separation from God himself. Jesus doesn't promise to protect us from the coronavirus. And even if he does protect us from infection and grant us more years of life, uh, we will all one day die. The bigger issue, therefore, is where will we go when we die? Will we accept Jesus' gift and go and spend eternity with him? Or are we going to just wait and see what happens when we die? Not only is that a very dangerous strategy, it also doesn't give us any comfort during this life. We're going to be constantly anxious. 
Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust Jesus, because he's gone to prepare a place in heaven for us. And our place in heaven doesn't depend on our efforts, but trusting in what Jesus has done for us. And thirdly, trust Jesus, because Jesus has already shown us the Father. Assuming that the disciples have begun to understand why Jesus needs to leave them, there's still this question, isn't there? What about now? And you too might be feeling at this point, well, that's great. I look forward to going to be with Jesus and the Father and one day, but what about now? How am I meant to, to cope with this crisis, the worries that it has caused me? Well, look at what Philip says in verse 8. He says, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. It's like, if you're really going to come back and take us to be with you, give us some proof so that we can trust you. How do we even know that there's a God? The ironic thing is that the disciples have seen God in the person of Jesus Christ. They've lived with Jesus for the past few years, but they still haven't made that link between Jesus and God. So they still don't really know Jesus. And so Jesus says to Philip, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time? You can feel almost the pain in that question, can't you? Do you still not know who I am? He's saying, I've given you something far better than a a one-off glimpse of the Father. You've lived with me for the past few years. Every day you've seen the Father in me. I've told you many times how I've come to do the will of the Father. How whatever the Father does, the Son does also. This is so important. The five times in these verses, Jesus repeats this point. He says, if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. Anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and that the Father is in me? Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. There's no doubt here that Jesus is claiming to be God and that he has revealed the Father to them. Christianity stands and falls on the person of Jesus Christ. If he's not who he says he is, then we're all just wasting our time here this morning. But if he is, then the implications are huge, and we can't afford to ignore them. God has visited his creation. He's made himself known to humankind. Are we going to grasp the opportunity he's given us, or are we just going to ignore it and carry on living our lives our way? By this stage, the disciples may be waking up to the fact that, well, maybe Jesus actually is God. But even if he is, he's, he's about to leave them. So they may still be thinking, well, what are we going to do when you've gone? Even if you are God, how, how does that help us when you disappear? Does all that we've been doing for the past few years just stop? Are we meant to just hang around and wait for you to come back? Well, no, the answer is, as we've seen in these last couple of verses, is that Jesus will continue his work through us, if we ask him. 
While Jesus has been on earth with the disciples, he's done some pretty amazing things. He's healed the sick. He's enabled the the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the lame to, to walk. He's calmed storms. He's changed water into wine. He's even brought back the dead to life. Most important of all, he's forgiven people for their sins. He's called people to repent and to follow him as Lord. In case they're wondering what they're going to do now, he tells them in verse 12, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I'm going to the Father. The fact that Jesus is going to the Father doesn't mean that these works will stop. The difference is now that he will do them through his disciples. Jesus finishes by saying, And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask for anything in my name, and I will do it. Now this is not saying I'm going to be your your genie in a bottle that you can just pull out at any time when you fancy something. He's saying I will still ensure my will is done on earth, but I will do it through you. Which is an amazing privilege, isn't it? When Jesus taught his disciples to, to pray, he said, pray these words. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. Now, those are not just empty words that we recite so we can tick a box and feel good about ourselves. They are part of us being united to God the Father and the Son. They are expressing a willingness to be used by God to achieve his purposes. Your will be done. Isn't just, um, you're going to do whatever you want to do anyway. It's a prayer of personal commitment to be ready to do whatever God wants us to do to enable his will to be done. The work that Jesus has started won't stop after he ascends to heaven. It will continue through his people. Next week we will see uh, where the power comes from to achieve those works uh, when Jesus promises disciples that he will send the, the, the Holy Spirit. But the message he's given them here is we will not be separated from him when he goes to the Father because we're still in communion with him through prayer. We can speak to him directly in the same way that Jesus wasn't separated from his Father when he came to, to earth in human form. He's still communicated by prayer. Just as we may feel at the moment, our phones are a great lifeline in this time of human separation. So is prayer a great lifeline in our relationship with God. God is not absent. He's very much with us and uh, we can speak to him at any time and in any place. The question is, are we making the most of that opportunity? Are we putting more trust in our politicians, our medics, our scientists to sort out this crisis than coming to God and asking for his help? Boris Johnson being admitted to, to intensive care was a reminder that even the Prime Minister is vulnerable to illness. His discharge from hospital has been an answer to the prayers of millions of people in this country and overseas. Let's keep praying to God to grant healing to others, to grant protection 
to enable the discovery of a vaccine to bring the crisis to an end and to take away our worries and replace them with his eternal peace. To what extent has this crisis driven us to our knees? As we finish, we don't know what's going to happen over the coming weeks and months. How many more people will die? But God provides comfort for troubled hearts. How? Because Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us in heaven. Our place in heaven doesn't depend on our efforts, but trusting in what Jesus has done for us. We already know God, because Jesus has shown him to us. And Jesus will continue to work through us if we ask him to. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Well, as we close, can I just say that if you're struggling at the moment in these troubled times, um, I would like someone to talk to you. Please don't struggle alone. Do please get in touch. I'll be very happy to talk to you, to pray with you. Uh, Or maybe if you just have some questions about the Christian faith, something that you heard this morning that you didn't understand, do please get in touch. Our details are on the website. I'm going to close now in prayer, and I'm going to close with a prayer from uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Let's pray. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.